This summer at Kenilworth Union, Joe and I are preaching a sermon series entitled Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. If you're looking for fantastic beasts, one good place to find them is in the Bible, including these wonderful character-shaping verses from the book of Deuteronomy. You shall not muzzle your ox when he is treading out the grain. You shall not watch your neighbor's ox or sheep straying away and ignore them. You shall take them back to their owner. You shall not see your neighbor's donkey or ox fallen on the road and ignore it. You shall help to lift it up. You shall not withhold the wages of poor and needy laborers, whether other Israelites or aliens who reside in your land. You shall pay them their wages daily before sunset because they're poor and their livelihood depends upon you. You shall not deprive a resident alien or an orphan of justice. You shall not take a widow's garment and pledge, because remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be left for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. When you beat your olive trees, do not strip what's left. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, do not glean what is left. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this. And then our lesson from the Hebrew Psalter this morning is Psalm 147, a beautiful psalm for this time of year, this kind of occasion. English hymnody, of course, is rich in all of these wonderful metrical paraphrases of the Hebrew psalms, including this one by John B. Dykes in the 19th century, one of our great hymn writers in the English-speaking world. Um, we don't know, it's a charming tune as well, but we don't know it, so the choir will sing the first verse, and then we will join on the last three verses. To beast and bird, God's goodness, their daily food supplies. God cares for all God's creatures, attentive to their cries. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, Christian churches don't often consult the book of Deuteronomy these days, perhaps because its long, sprawling middle section is filled with a miscellany of obscure rules and regulations that don't have much to do with how we live life today. For example, I can't remember the last time I was tempted to muzzle my ox while he was treading my grain. <laughs> but perhaps we should consult it more often because it is one of the most important books of the Hebrew Bible. One scholar said that modern Judaism as we know it is essentially the product of the book of Deuteronomy. And so in two weeks when we gather for divine worship at Sukkot Shalom, we'll pause to remember that what we're seeing, what we know as modern Judaism in, in contemporary synagogues in the United States and Europe and Israel is essentially the product of this book. It is for all practical purposes the Jewish constitution. The book of Deuteronomy wanted to tell the Jews what it meant to be holy before the Lord. And as you read the book of Deuteronomy, it occurs to you that what it means to be holy before the Lord is to be kind to the vulnerable and the speechless and the innocent. 
And so in its comprehensive egalitarianism and in its inclusive humanity for those who have no voice, Deuteronomy is way, way, way ahead of its time. In the annals of religion, there is nothing like it a thousand years before Jesus. It will be centuries before the rest of the world will catch up to the compassion of Deuteronomy. And certain, you notice while I was reading this text, right, certain words pop up with unexpected frequency. The widow, the orphan, the alien, even the ox and the donkey, the weak, the forgotten, the left behind, the disenfranchised, the speechless. Widows, aliens, and orphans have a special, even an extraordinary claim upon your humanity. Unaccountably, this mandate even applies to the mute beasts. And in this sense, as I said, Deuteronomy is way ahead of its time. The first SPCA, the first Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, won't show up until 1824 in England, created by a number of ministers of parliament, including William Wilberforce, who also ended the slave trade in the English Empire. For most of human history, Animals were simply unfeeling objects. Thomas Aquinas said that animals belonged to us and we could do with them whatever we wanted. The word cattle, of course, comes from the Latin word capita, which just means heads, so that the phrase head of cattle is a redundancy. The words chattel and capital come from the same word, capita, heads. Capital is property, so cattle are just movable property. Descartes thought of animals as complex automata, complex automata, without mind, soul, or consciousness. Descartes said animals don't feel pain when they are beaten, and they don't feel pleasure when they eat. Clearly, Descartes did not have a dog, or he would have known (laughs) that animals take great pleasure when they eat. You probably knew this, but I didn't know this. Did you know that oxen are just cattle? It's the same animal. Oxen are simply the kind of cattle that pull a plow through the fields. Most oxen are bulls because bulls are stronger and larger than cows. And most uh, oxen are neutered because it makes them more docile. And so it takes years to train an ox to thresh the grain efficiently so that an ox is just a steer with an education. And so in days of old, when Deuteronomy was written, they'd pull a wooden roller studded with numbs of iron across the harvested grain to pull the grain from the stalk. And since the oxen worked so hard for human calories, it felt inhumane to muzzle the ox while it was doing this work so that it could share the calories with its human owners. So long before the SPCA, Deuteronomy has given us a TPCA, a theology for the prevention of cruelty to animals. Now that doesn't mean much, right? Kindness to animals doesn't, doesn't always mean much, does it? You can adore your precious, precious chihuahua and still be mean as a snake to every other biped in the world. When the Nazis came to power in 1933, they passed some of the most comprehensive animal protection laws in all of Europe. 
And they took away the human being's sacrosanct privilege at the top of the pyramid of life and rearranged everything. And so in the Nazi schema, of course, Aryans were at the top, followed by eagles and wolves. At the bottom of this status, uh, this ranking, were Jews and rats. Out of respect for their four-footed friends, Hitler, Hess, Himmler, and Goebbels were all vegetarians. Deuteronomy gets its point about kindness across with the relentless monotony of a CD player with a stuck laser beam. Widows, orphans, and the defenseless have an extraordinary claim upon your humanity. And Deuteronomy tells us why over and over and over again. The alien, the widow, and the orphan have an extraordinary claim upon your humanity because you were there not long ago. When you were in Egypt, you were slaves. And then when you were wandering in the desert, you were homeless. You were derelict. Do you remember that vulnerability? Do you remember what that suffering felt like? And so Jewish compassion for the defenseless derives from and is anchored to the Jews' own recent experience of vulnerability. And that's such an important lesson for us to remember 3,000 years later. Because isn't it our own vulnerability that teaches us to grow up, to be human, to be kind? How would you like a dentist drilling in your teeth who didn't know how much it hurt? How would you like an oncologist coaching through your chemotherapy who wasn't scared to death herself? If you're young and small and lost at the mall, do you want a father who was never, never himself, young and small, and lost at the mall, tracking you down? If your marriage is in trouble, do you want to go to a therapist who has never fought fiercely for her own marriage and almost lost it? When a burly sixth grader corners you on the playground with an icy uh, snowball, do you confide in a friend who has never been bullied himself? When you're standing there next to a pile of turned earth at the lip of a fresh grave, do you want a pastor who's never had her heart broken? One of Jewish novelists, Philip Roth's protagonist, remembers the day he turned from a boy into a man. He remembers the day he grew up. It was the first time I saw my father cry. A childhood milestone when another's tears become more unbearable than your own. That's when we become human. That's when we grow up, when another's tears become more unbearable than our own. That's how Barbara Brown Taylor heard the voice of God calling her to the ministry. Barbara Brown Taylor is an Episcopalian priest, about my age, one of the most respected and beloved preachers in the English-speaking world. She says that when she was little, she just couldn't bear to walk past any injured animal without rescuing it. And that was the beginning, she says, of her call to the ministry. She says that the number of graves in her backyard never deterred her from picking up the next crippled thing. Instead of collecting stamps, Barbara Brown Taylor collected wounded animals. 
She says, I was much happier with a hurt bird than I was with most people because the bird seemed happier to see me. And sitting quietly together, we both got better. We understood each other. And in, in the inexplicable alchemy of compassion, my care for the bird gave comfort to me. I love that phrase, the inexplicable alchemy of compassion. The Reverend Taylor says, most clergy are like that. They have this soft spot for hurt things. I think maybe this is true of doctors and nurses and veterinarians and therapists and social workers. In my case, says Dr. Taylor, the priesthood came as natural as breathing, as simple as picking up a hurt thing and taking it home, whether to heal or to bury. I think I've told you before about this odd but provocative little book called 99 Stories of God by Joy Williams. That's just what it is, this book, 99 Stories of God. Some of them are as short as one sentence. And this is one of the 99 Stories of God. The Lord was living with a colony of bats in a cave. And one day, two boys with BB guns came into the cave and killed many bats outright and left others injured on the floor of the cave. They did not see the Lord, and the Lord did not make himself known to the boys. The Lord was very fond of the bats, and yet on the other hand, he had done nothing to prevent this. God loved to hang out with the animals. Everybody knew that the bears and the wolves, the elephants and the bighorn sheep. But the animals were rather wishing that God wasn't so partial to their company. Hang out with human beings, they begged God. But God just said, I'm lonely there. Abraham Lincoln said, I care not for a man's religion whose dog and cat are not the better for it. What about your neighbor? What about starving folk on the other side of the world? Are they the better for your religion? And if not, what's the point? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen. Please pray with me. God, we thank you for your kindness and care for all of your creatures, from those that squirm in the dirt to humanity itself. And we pray that we will touch at least a small part of your overwhelming compassion. In Jesus' name, amen.